Welcome back, everybody, to episode 65 of On the Wild. I'm your host, Riley Keenan. With me, as always, Anuj Basker. The Leafs lost game six, and we're headed to another game seven on Saturday night. We're filming this on Friday. You watched overtime of game six, so I got to ask, what were your takeaways from that OT? First of all, a Leafs game seven is just like a yearly occurrence at this point. It's just a foregone conclusion. Um, But, yeah, in overtime – preface this I'm not like the biggest hockey fan I'm not the most knowledgeable of the game but to me it felt like the Leafs dominated overtime they had a lot of they had a lot of opportunities to uh, end the game Um, but also credit to to Vasilevsky is that how you say his last name Uh, the the lightning goalie Um, he made some great saves Uh, but I feel like the Leafs kind of missed a bunch of opportunities and um, yeah I mean they were up 3-2 in the third period with your season or with a chance to go on to the, the second round, I feel like they should have been um, able to, to close that out. But, I mean, it's game seven in Toronto. See what happens. I know I picked I picked uh, Leafs in seven when we when uh, Ian was on. Yeah. But I don't know. With, with that type of loss, it's sort of heartbreaking. I mean, they cut to, to Maple Leaf Square when um, when the Lightning scored, and it was just people with their, their hands on their mouth, just like, oh, not again. Just dead silence. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it's tough. It's heartbreaking. So I don't know how they'll bounce back, but, you know, hopefully they get it done because I don't know how much the city of Toronto can take anymore. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Listen, I, it went a lot of the way I predicted. I said uh, in the, our predictions video, I said the Leafs got to close out in game six. If it goes to a game seven, I got to go with Tampa. And now I'm stuck in that situation where I want to have that optimism because I love the Leafs, but at the same time, you know, We've seen the history of how it goes. And at the same time, also, we're playing the back-to-back champs in the form of the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are no slouch. Like, every single game in this series has been a battle, whether it's been one side or the other. Um, to be able to win game six, that was – or, sorry, to be able to win game five was massive for the Leafs because, you know, they were down 2 nothing. And then the same thing happens in game six here. They get the 3-2 lead. Massive goals from John Tavares back-to-back, like 33 seconds apart, and Matthews gets on the board. So big players showing up in big moments. But – at the end of the day, they shot themselves in the foot in this game. It should have been a 3-1 win at the end of the day. The first two goals, Kerfoot makes a no-look pass to Brody, who was going off on a change. A bit of a miscommunication there. Tough goal. And then the second one, Giordano battles after a tough play by Mikhaev to turn it over. But Strelia makes a spin around a goal. It was, it was disgusting. Let's be real. It was a gross goal. You know, it's tough, tough to stop. But be able to go back up 3-2 and then once again shoot yourself in the foot in the third period by getting a high-sticking penalty, which we all saw the replay. Camp didn't hit him in the face. It was quite an incredible embellishment from Calfoot. And then, uh, you know, they proceed to get another high-sticking penalty from Kerfoot, which if you watch your teammate get a high-sticking penalty and you get one right after that, you know, that's about as low IQ as it gets, in my opinion. You know, we, I, I've talked about it with a lot of Leafs fans and just people in general that love hockey. You don't lift your stick up like that. you got to keep it low to the ground. So they shoot themselves in the foot. They go on a five-on-three and Tampa scores. It's tough. And like you said in overtime, Toronto dominated. They dominated, but Tampa, they capitalized on their chance. Leafs weren't able to bury. So it's tough. It's grim going into game seven. I'm optimistic. I'm very hopeful because this, this series has been, you know, home teams are 6-0 and in this series. So the Leafs are up home ice now. But, I mean, it's going to be an absolute are they? They're six. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, sorry. I'm totally wrong. They, they it's, been, it's been back and forth the entire series. series. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking of Suns, uh, I'm thinking of Suns Mavericks here. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, we'll get to that. But yeah, listen, this it's gone back and forth every game. So the odds makers are saying the Leafs are the slight favorite. 
but I think everyone and their mother knows Tampa's the favorite in this game. That's just the home home field or home ice advantage. Exactly. And yeah, and listen, even if the Leafs do lose that game, as long as it's not in horrendous fashion like it was last year and, and the year before that, I walk away obviously not happy. I'm disappointed, but you know, I can't I can't be pissed off. They're playing a spectacular team in the form of Tampa and they've had some of the best performances they've had in the playoffs in recent history. They've been battling. And, you know, Tavares has caught a lot of flack. He had a, he's had a lot, great couple games. Nylander's been phenomenal. Matthews and Marner have been great. The role players have been stepping up, and the D's been good. And Campbell has been a much better goalie than a lot of people give him credit for. He's been – he was, you know, going in – aside from game six, you know, he was the best goalie in this series. Vasilevsky struggled in a couple of the games. But, yeah, I mean – I couldn't be any more nervous for this game. It's going to be so tough, but you know, whoever moves on is going to absolutely deserve it at the end of the day. And that's the way she goes. But yeah. Even the goal that the lightning scored in overtime, it was like a rebound that just kind of squeaked through. Like it was just. Yeah. And and you watch the replay, you know, bunting and uh rookie of the year candidate bunting 26 years old, by the way, is uh, going for the puck. And if just, you see him and Justin Hall both go for it and they knock it into the net. If Hall doesn't go for it, you know Bunting would have kept it out, which just sucks to see. But, I mean, it's both guys battling for the puck. They're giving it all there. Um, but, yeah, I, like, I, I, don't like, uh, I don't like the people, you know, calling out the refs, saying that's the reason why they lost. It was, you know, the, the penalty calls were tough, but at the end of the day, you got to keep your stick down. Um, and, yeah, the, referee, the refereeing has been abysmal the entire playoffs, and it's been abysmal for every single team. So it's not just slanting one way in the favor of Tampa. It's, it's been bad in general. And it was great to see that they put the whistles away a bit in this game because it was the first time, I think, in the first period there wasn't more than 10 penalty minutes or something like that. Um, but, yeah, there are a couple bad calls late in the game. It's tough. But And overtime, too, there was no there was no penalty. Yeah, so, they yeah. put the whistles away in overtime, which was great. You can't blame it on the referee. you got to bury there in the third. you got a lot of shots on goal. But, you know, Vasilevsky had a great overtime and, and a great game in general. So you got you got to hand it to Tampa. Head, head into game seven in Toronto. It's going to be fun. It's going to be, I'm going to need, I'm going to need to take a fat nap before that game. I need to go in tired. So I'm not excited and in, in, in anticipation because I'm, it's unbearable. Yeah. What I, we've had to deal with as least fans the last few years. Don't want to go through it again. Are you going to be in Maple Leaf, Maple Leaf Square? I will not be in Maple Leaf Square. I was in Maple Leaf Square last night and that was, first of all, you can't move. I'm a little claustrophobic. You cannot move there. It's constant people to the side. Also, I had to throw away my orange crush. You couldn't bring that in. I was pretty disappointed about that. So that already got me in a rough mood. But it's a great atmosphere. I, I do recommend it for people that want to go. It's incredibly hype. When we were down 2-0, it was tough. But as soon as I went up 3-2, I mean, the place was – it just erupted. It was a great atmosphere to be in. But I'll most likely be in Brampton for that game. I'm incredibly excited, and I'm also petrified for it. But now moving on to the NBA playoffs in the second round of the Heat advanced past the 76ers last night in a 99 to 90 win. I mean, there's there's one clear outlier in that series, but what 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 is the main focus for you that you look at after that series finished? James Harden fell off a cliff. Like it's it's honestly sad to watch. Like some of the plays I saw a tweet last night, it was um like of Maxi passing him the ball. And Maxi was all mad at him. The next play, he's trying to dribble around three or four people. Harden is, and he's just he got stripped of the ball. It's just kind of like sad. It's sad. Like it's just he's not the same player at all. Even Embiid said it after the game, which I'm not a huge fan of him saying that. Um, 
he kind of cleared it up after saying like we all should have been more aggressive, but he, we know what he was trying to say. Yeah. Um, that Harden isn't the same player, which he isn't, but as his teammate, I don't think he should have said that. Also saying like, I don't know how we let Jimmy Butler go. He made some questionable um, remarks in his post game yeah. uh, press conference, but I don't know where the Sixers go from here. Um, they're stuck with James Harden. He's going to opt into his, I think it's a $47 million player option. He's going to opt into that. Um, he's not going to let that go. And from there, I mean, you still have Maxi, you still have Embiid. I feel like he's kind of a dark horse to, to demand a trade this offseason. I could really see that happening. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're keeping Doc Rivers. I just saw it now. Uh, who, I don't know how he's still getting, he's still living off a championship he won 14 years ago. Oh. Um, even if he got fired, the Lakers were going to pounce on him. So I, don't, I really don't understand why Doc Rivers is still uh, a huge name in, in, in head coaching because he's just, he hasn't done anything since, since 08. Yeah. So blown multiple 3-1 leads as much as he'd like to, to make excuses about it. It did happen, and he's kind of the common denominator with all those those teams. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. Philadelphia's in a tough spot because they didn't improve from last year. They lost in the second round last year. Uh, ben Simmons didn't score in the second half in, I think, games six and seven, or maybe scored, like, a couple points. James Harden do, didn't score last last night in the in the second half. So you kind of have that same problem of aggressiveness. Yeah. Um, but, I don't know. They're in a tough spot. Yeah. It's kind of baffling. Anywhere. You were talking about Doc, and he said it himself. He thought he did a terrific job, which, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you want to go boasting that when the entire world is, is coming against you right now. But, I mean, it comes down to Harden, first of all, like you said. You can't take two shots in the second half of a game when you're a superstar, which, first of all, I think the idea of James Harden being a superstar needs to be put in question. He's um, not even a star anymore. He's like yeah. a – He's a shell a, of he's himself. A, he's, a, he's a playmaker. Yeah. Right He's turned into a playmaker, and I, I want to know how much of that that has to do with being in Brooklyn and having to take that step back and if that was really a confidence shock. But at the same time, this is one of the greatest scores that we have ever seen in this game. Three years in a row of, of you know nearly 30 points per game. This guy can do it with the best of them. And you know, like I said, to take two shots in the second half is just embarrassing. It's you, you got to be aggressive and you got to know. And and like I said, you, you can put the onus, you know, and B talks about after I think game four or five, you know, you know putting Doc and James Harden into question. So Doc needs to, you know, he needs to be on James more about shooting and and, and forcing him to, to be more active out there. But at the same time, you could see it, that Doc called plays for Harden and Harden, you know, didn't want anything to do with it. It was, it was a lot like, you know, in game, uh, game six or seven, I think game seven of uh, the Bucks net series last year in the last possession when Harden brought the ball up to court and he said, KD, take it. He's got that same mindset now, and it, it is truly baffling um, that he's going in with that that mindset because there's a lot of dogs on this team. Maxi was great, and Bead, he's dealing with the ligament, he's dealing with the face, his knees still, you know, or sorry, concussion, his knees still not fully healthy. He's giving everything he has for this team and this city, and and Harden just brought none of it. And it, to me, you know, I said this when we first started the podcast. I, I couldn't, rem I can't remember what episode it was or what the context was, but I said James Harden and Russell Westbrook will never win a championship. And I still, I still hold that belief to this day because, um, you know, Westbrook, obviously he's, he, he, he's, you know, he's fallen off a little bit and, and it is what it is, you know, with age, you're going to, you're going to struggle a little more as you go, but Harden has just quit. It seems like on his career, on his teams and on himself, he quit on Houston. 
He quit on Brooklyn, and it seems like he's quit on or, uh, Philadelphia, even though he says he wants to be back. He seems like he wants nothing to do with Doc, and it seems like it's his fault. But at the same time, you're the one on the court. you got to be the one to make a difference. You're one of the best ISO scorers I've ever seen. Take over the game, man. Like, you know you can. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just embarrassing to watch. I, I really don't know what Philly does from here. Um, obviously, you got you got to build around Embiid at the end of the day. you got to get a couple 3 and D guys because I don't think Danny Green's the, the guy for the future. Well, he, like, he's injured now. So. He, he, he did get hurt, which, which sucks to see. And he started off one for one, but – I mean, he had a couple of good games this playoffs, but at the end of the day, he's, he's been mostly invisible, at least on the offensive side on the floor. You got to be playing guys like Shake Milton and, and uh, Thibel more, but you got to get some serious pieces in this offseason. Or like you said, Embiid is a dark horse to, to ask for a trade. And to be honest, I think he has every right to do so with the way management has held, you know, since Butler. Like I, I, I did, I, you know, I'm not huge on players, like not necessarily disrespecting organizations and stuff like that, but seeing Butler say, you know, Tobias Harris over me, I kind of liked it to an extent because it, 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 at the time, that's what we were all thinking. It's like, why are you not getting Butler back? What, like it didn't make any sense at the time. And to see him perform the way he did in that series, you know, with the chip on the shoulder that he had, it just proved to Philly that, you know, they made the wrong move. And once again, did they make the wrong move by trading Simmons? Because obviously he hasn't played yet, but we've seen how hard this turned out. Going back to Butler, I think by all reports, it was because Ben Simmons and Brett Brown, who was the coach at the time, didn't like Butler. Um, neither of those people are, are still with the 60s, which is funny. But uh, going back to your point about Harden and, and Westbrook, I think there's some similarities there. But, like, I didn't think that Harden would fall off the way Westbrook did because Westbrook is so reliant on his athleticism. That's the whole – that's the premise of his game is that he is so athletic, getting to the rim and, and finishing around the rim. But Harden is insanely skilled. I mean, just a couple of years ago, we were talking about him being the most skilled player of all time, the best one-on-one player we've ever seen. So I didn't think that if he were to lose some sort of athleticism, that he would fall off to that degree. Um, I mean, yeah, your his first step isn't going to be as um, explosive. And they've talked about it a lot on, on TNT and whatnot. But I thought with his skill, with his bag, he wouldn't be you know, what he is right now, which is just a shell of himself. And people are saying he's injured, but they've been making that excuse for a year and a half. He hasn't been injured for a year and a half. Last year, I understand because it it was visibly, he was visibly injured in in the Nets Bucks series. Like he was limping and and everything. So give him that. But this year, I don't think that's a valid excuse for him. Not at all. Especially with, you know, how Embiid played without Simmons. You know, they didn't necessarily need Harden throughout the regular season. You were going to win, you know, at least 45 games without him. So if he was truly injured, he would have had time off. So to be able to play that entire season and come into the playoffs like this, it's, it's truly shocking. And, and to an extent, I feel for Philly fans, but at the same time, all of them, you know, saying, oh, we got our revenge on the Raptors. The team was in development. So, yeah, this is a transition year for the Raptors. Yeah, it's a transition year, and they were a five seed, so. They'll, they'll be coming back next year. We'll see how the Sixers do, but obviously the Heat move on to the next round, and uh, we'll see the Bucks. Bucks Celtics play tonight in Game Six, so we'll see who takes them on soon enough. I still have. I think. I think the Bucks take it home tonight. Personally, you know they're on their home court. I think Boston's going to give it every shot they got, but I think they're, they're going to go to Game Seven. I think they're going to go to Game Seven. I listen. I thought Boston had that Game Five. They had it, and and as soon as you know Milwaukee started taking over. First of all, Giannis was great, but Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday proved he's a champion. I mean, on the defensive end in the last few minutes, the block, the steal at the end were great. He had a massive three. 
it's great to see. I think they'll close it tonight, just coming off of that momentum. But Boston's going to make it tough. But you, Boston, but you think going to seven? Yeah, I think they're going to go seven. But Boston had game five and game three. They blew yeah. both of those games. It, in all honesty, it should be a done series. It should be yeah. Heat Celtics. So I think, I think the Celtics close it tonight, and then game seven, it's a toss up. Yeah, yeah. And I, I want to ask you this because I, I'm just just curiosity. If if Boston were to win this series and they head on to face Miami, is that Miami Boston? Does that become a massive rivalry in the NBA? Because we've seen that matchup a lot. Obviously, we saw it a couple of years ago in the bubble. But I mean, when LeBron was battling with Boston, we saw it a lot. Is this is this somewhat of a rivalry at this point? Can we say that? Not yet. If they play again like the next year or something like that, but not yet. I think I will say if, if Boston were to beat Miami, then they would it would be kind of like that one one thing. I think Milwaukee and Miami is more of a rivalry than Absolutely. Miami and, and Boston. Yeah. This this will be the fourth time they would match up in the last four years. If they were to I, I know I, in the last three years they played each other, but I don't know if yeah, it's four. In the bubble, Miami eliminated them. All right, I guess last year. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, Miami beat them in five, and then Milwaukee swept Miami last year. Yeah. And this would be three straight. But then also tonight at, at 10, uh, the Grizzlies play the Warriors. Obviously, Jean Morant's out once again. It's looking like he'll, he'll miss the entire playoffs if the war or if the Grizzlies were to advance. It's in, it's in Golden State. What do you think? I think Golden State closes it out. I think game five was kind of like that, you know, Steph was talking about. You know, he was talking, Draymond was talking. So kind of like that bulletin board materials type of thing for for Memphis and Golden State just kind of came out flat, which kind of surprised me. But I think I think they closed it out tonight on their home floor. Um, if they were to go to game seven, that would be kind of entertaining because, you know, blowing another 3-1 lead. But, yeah, you know, I personally would love to see a game seven, um, especially without jaw. That would be interesting. But I think Golden State. Uh, finishes off tonight. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I think Golden State finishes it off just uh, after an, a, a horrible loss in Game Five. I mean, it was tough to watch. I turned the game off after the first quarter. It was it was just such a dominant victory for Memphis. But I like I would love to see it go to Game Seven because we know how good Memphis has been this year without Jaw. It would be quite the story if they were to you know overcome the a lot of people's favorites to win the championship because the way they were playing in the first round in the first couple of games, it looked like the Warriors are the team to beat, and I still think they can be. But um, if let's say this, if the Grizzlies do win in seven, what does that say about you know Steph Curry's legacy or you know the Warriors in general? I mean, it will make it like KD needed the Warriors and the Warriors needed KD. That was, that's going to be the the headline after if they were to lose the series. Yeah. Which if you're KD, you're loving it. You're loving it. Yeah. Because right now yeah. he is in the dumps. Yeah. Because if if Golden State were to win the title this year. That, I mean, that creates a huge dent in, in Katie's legacy, at least for me. Yeah, absolutely. So, I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll see, though. It'll be it'll be crazy. The internet will go crazy if, oh. if they were to blow another 3-1 lead, especially without Jaw. Without, without Jaw, Jaw, that would be that would be insane. Yeah. And I, I'm curious to ask about this because, uh, you know, Desmond Bain had some comments. He said, obviously, Stephen Curry's the best shooter in the world. And he initially put himself second, but then someone said Clay. And he said, okay, Clay's second. But I'm third. We're like obviously that's a confidence thing, and that's something you know you want to hear from a guy like, oh, he believes in himself that he's going to be a dominant player in this league. But 
that's a little early in his career. And I don't know if he's done enough to be able to say that yet. What do you think about that statement? I mean, I don't have a list on, off the top of my head, but he's, he's up there. I mean, he's, yeah. he's shot 40% from three. I think in both of his years so far, he's a great defender. We've said it before. He's built like a linebacker. Yeah. I love Desmond Bain. And I, I like that he's confident because, yeah. I mean, that's kind of like the, the whole thing with Memphis. They're like, they're confident and borderline arrogant, which yeah. can rub people the wrong way. It's rubbed me the, the wrong way a couple of times. Um, just after, like, especially in the Minnesota series. Yeah. Um, when they they're doing like the gritty on their logo, it's like, okay, they're the seven seed. You went to six games, like it's not yeah. really something to to celebrate. But I mean, that's just who they are, which yeah. I mean, is cool. It's kind of funny they 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 take offense to disrespect, even if it's not even dis- even if it's just the Warriors being like, yeah, this is our series. And I'm just being like, are you kidding me? Like, do you know who we are? Like, I I find it pretty funny. And like you said, yeah, there's been a couple times where it's like, all right, Memphis dial it back a little but I like the I like the confidence sometimes it's mis- mixed with arrogance but like they'll get mad at opposing fans like disrespecting them or they're opposing yeah. fans they're not gonna like yeah. cheer for you what do you like, expect? you're in Minnesota yeah like, have you seen him beat in Toronto or, or you know yeah. like Kevin Durant every time he touches the ball in a away game it's it's the way it goes in the NBA yeah. but yeah and then obviously the last game of the series. We're heading to game seven for Suns uh, Mavericks. I believe it's on Sunday. So it'll be Sunday, yeah. Uh, the day after this comes out, I think, or unless this comes out Sunday morning. But um, Saturday is coming out Saturday. So obviously, yeah, Dallas wins game six. Luca, an incredible performance. I mean, I think it was like 113 to 86, something like that. Luca had 30. Yeah, it yeah, was blow. Luca had like 33, 11, and eight. Uh, Dinwiddie had one of his best games he's had in the playoffs. I think he was like five for seven from three off the bench. Finney Smith struggled a bit, but, you know, they were firing on all cylinders, and Phoenix just didn't have it. And Chris Paul, I mean, he has not brought it in the last three games. I think he's averaging like 8.7 assists, like three or four turnovers. It's been real rough for him. So what are your thoughts heading into this game seven? This is like one of the weirdest series I've ever watched in my life. Like the away <laughs> game has been gotten blown out in every single game. Yeah. There's been no sort of momentum continuity at all. It's gone 2-2, 1-1, which is like – I mean, by all account, by like that logic, the Suns are going to blow up the Mavericks in game seven, which I don't think is going to happen. I think it'll be a lower scoring, more defensive game um, just because it's, it's winner go home. But I think I'll, I'll lean towards the Suns, but I would not be surprised if Luka goes for like 45 and uh, somebody like a Finney Smith or a Brunson kind of chips in a little bit with, with 18 or something and, yeah. and they pull it out late, but I'm gonna go Phoenix just because I I, uh, I picked them um, before the playoffs started. And I just think they're they're just a better team, yeah, top to bottom. So they have the coach of the year, they have the superstars. Chris Paul needs to to play better though, like you said, he's been he's been really struggling ever since game really like game three. So yeah, hopefully he can get back on track. Yeah, like the the Suns are built for a game seven. They're like probably the most well-oiled machine in the league. And we've seen that from, I mean, the season they had to win 60 plus games. And obviously Williams definitely deserved coach of the year, but Luca is the best player in this series. And that, that can travel a lot of weight. Um, so yeah, like he's going to need to have a massive game to win because I don't think you're going to get the same kind of, uh, you know, results from Dinwiddie. Like he had a near perfect game to off the bench, a guy like Finney Smith and, and Kleber have struggled a bit on the road. They're better at home. So it's going to be tough, and it's—I yeah, mean—it's going to be a hostile atmosphere. We know what Phoenix is like; it's—it's it's crazy in that building. But like, listen, Chris Paul has been struggling, but we know what he can do in a game seven. He—he's always brought it. 
And and a guy like Booker has that experience now after a long playoff run last year. As, as much as I just said, Luke is the best player in this series. Booker has every opportunity to, to be the best guy in that game. You know, he needs to, I think he had 17 shots last game. I think he made five or six of them. He needs to be taking 20 shots. And Paul has to be that facilitator and the point God we know he can be. But I, I think, I think ultimately, I think it's going to come down to the role players on both sides, because, you know, you know, Donch is going to get you, you know, 28, 30 points and he's going to be a good facilitator. Um, but, but guys have to set, step up and hit shots. And if, if you're Phoenix, you know, Bridges has to shut down defensively. Aiton has to get a lot more looks on the inside because there is no one on Dallas that could stop him. There's no one. So they have to utilize him. Obviously, the, the lob game has been huge, but the pick and roll can be used a hell of a lot more, especially with Booker and, and Paul, who are knocked down from mid-range. So I, I'm taking the Suns as well because I think they are going to make the finals and they're going to make that push. But I, I agree, it's going to be a lower-scoring game, definitely a defensive-minded game that I can see being, you know, under 205, you know, if you're a betting man. But, yeah, it's going to be a battle, and I'm super excited for it. This is the most excited I've been for a playoff game all playoffs just because, you know, Phoenix, I love watching them. They're the team I believe in the most in the NBA right now, or not right now, heading into the playoffs. But Dallas, I mean, Luka Doncic is, is the best show in basketball right now. And, yeah. you know, I mean, he, he's making a case for being the best playoff performer. Obviously, he's, he's only been in three playoffs, and he's been in four rounds, but – and what he's done in such little time, it's been incredibly impressive. Yeah, for sure. He's going he's gonna to have a great game. It's just a matter of everybody else, like you said, the role players. And I trust the Suns' role players more than I do the Mavericks. Yeah, absolutely. But, but with that, the NFL schedule came out last night, so we yeah. may as well talk about that a little bit. Just to our, our favorite teams, what we think. Mm-hmm. of our schedules and you know how we think our teams will finish I guess all started off with the Falcons uh I see a, a 5 and 12 6 and 11 type of season mm-hmm. their schedule is just a, a gauntlet especially the first half um yeah. well, like the first seven games it's um it's uh the Saints Rams Seahawks Browns Buccaneers 49ers Bengals the first seven games now, if Deshaun Watson gets suspended, that makes that Browns game a little easier, I guess. They still have an amazing roster. But other than that, if they make it out of that three and four, they're on to something. But I really see it like a two and five start. And from there, maybe they pick up another a couple of W's. But for me, this season for the Falcons, it's more about the young players. They're probably going to be the youngest roster in the NFL, if I were to guess, mm-hmm. um, or one of the, the youngest rosters. And with that, this season is more of like a transitional, you know, a transitional year, rebuild year, whatever you want to call it. As long as the young players develop and there's real growth, uh, players like Richie Grant, Jalen Mayfield on the offensive line, if they can all take steps up and players like Drake London, Katie, uh, Troy Anderson, who I, who I love, we never really got to talk about the draft. I love what the Falcons did in the draft. Um, Incredible job. Yeah, so they, they picked up a lot of great players with a lot of great potential. I want to see Desmond Ritter play because the Falcons are going to have another top pick next year, probably in the top 10. I want to see him play just to see what they have. Yeah. I've seen a lot of Dak Prescott comparisons. If he is that in year one, then obviously you you ride it out with him and you don't pick a quarterback next year. But if he were to struggle and you have a top pick, then you go after you know the Strouds or the, the Bryce Youngs. But if he's good, then you give him another year. And Superman comes in next year, Caleb Williams. So, yeah, maybe you try and go get him if, if Ritter struggles in his first couple of years. But 
yeah, like I said, it's just more of a developmental year. Hopefully they can they're they're a better team in week 17 and the young players have grown enough to where they're they're bona fide players and they'll have a hundred million dollars in cap room next year. I've talked about it a lot on this podcast. So they're really well set up for 2023, but 2022 I feel like is a, a transition. Yeah. It's true. And you, what do you say? Seven and ten, eight and nine? I say five and twelve. Oh, wow. Or six and eleven. Yeah, and that's that's totally fair, especially in, in a transition year. With but, their uh, schedule too, if if they were to have an easier schedule, I could see maybe eight wins. Like yeah. I think I think this Falcons team is a way better team than it was last year. Even if even though they did lose Matt Ryan and Calvin Ridley's gone for the year, I still think this is a be- a way better roster. But yeah. with their schedule, it's way they're playing the AFC North yeah. and the NFC West. Those that are and they have, they have the Chargers, NFC South, obviously. Like it's it's a really tough schedule. So yeah. next year in 2023, they play the NFC North and the AFC South, which is a lot easier. So yeah, I expect them to be a lot better in that year. Yeah. Now looking at the Browns schedule, obviously you have to take it with a grain of salt because you don't really know what the quarterback situation is going to look like. Yeah. Um, I'd imagine that Deshaun gets six games. You could even get eight. Uh, you said it before we started that, you know, he could appeal it and possibly even get four. Obviously, that'd be best case scenario, but that's what I think is going to happen. It's going to be a six game suspension. And since he missed all of last year and all the cases are pending, he'll appeal it and it'll get down to four. Yeah. And I think, you know, under the circumstances, that's that's pretty fair. Um, they I think they lucked out in terms of scheduling because of the situation that they're in weeks one to four, you know, they got Panthers, Jets, Steelers, Falcons, obviously none of those games are gimmies, but if you're starting with Brissett or, I mean, you could have Baker depending on what the situation is like. I highly doubt it. Um, I'm assuming they're going to keep anytime. They can't can't keep keep them on the roster. They can't. It's just a bad, bad situation. And there's a lot of animosity there, at least for Baker's side. Um, So, I mean, if you're, if you're going with Brissett, let's say for argument's sake, Deshaun misses the first six games. You got to try to split it three three. It's going to be tough. You know, Carolina's game you got to win. New York's a game that you got to win. Steelers is going to be tough, but you should win that game as well. But you know, Falcons, Chargers, Patriots—they're all going to give you a tough time. You know, the Falcons—you know—they're no slouch. They they give good teams a run for their money, as they did the Buccaneers this year and the Saints. Um, but but looking at the schedule, it's it's pretty damn tough. Obviously, they got to play the AFC North each team in that division twice. But they play the Chargers, they play they play the, the Saints, the Buccaneers, the Bills, the Dolphins. It's going to be tough. I'm thinking a 10-7, and 9-8 season because of the fact that Deshaun will miss time. And, you know, Brissett coming into the lineup, I don't really know how much of a game changer he can be. But if I'm looking at it from an optimistic perspective, I'm going to say 11-6. and six Because, you know, this team for over the course of the last – three years we knew the one issue and that was the quarterback and to bring in a guy that you know for argument's sake is a top seven quarterback in the league could be top five when it's all said and done you know you got a top two offensive line a top three running back and I I honestly think I personally believe and this this could be a stretch I think Derrick Henry takes a step back this year so I think Chubb has the opportunity to be a top two running back and then you got a great route runner in Amari Cooper you're going to get other guys in the wide receiver room the defense has improved a hell of a lot, especially in the secondary. We know, you know, the, 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 the well, the D line is going to bring it. So, you know, this team should be a true, true contender in the AFC and in the NFL as a whole. But, you know, because of the, uh, you know, the, 
the unexpected, you know, absence of, or not unexpected absence, you know, not knowing the situation with Deshaun right now, I'll say 11 and six, but, you know. If he were to miss that, that amount of time, I think it'll be hard for them to make it up in their division. Cause I think their division is going to be one of the best divisions, even Pittsburgh, who I think is the, the worst team on paper. I think, I still think they're a really good team. Yeah. Um, I think Baltimore is going to be really good this year just because I think they're going to sign another receiver, maybe Jarvis Landry. I think he'd be a good fit because he's a willing blocker. Um, and I love what they've done all offseason. I love what they did in the draft. I texted you multiple times about how yeah. great of a draft Baltimore had. Uh, so I think they're them and I mean the Bengals improved their offensive line, which is their biggest, which was their biggest weakness as we saw in the Super Bowl. So I think every team in that division is going to be really good. So if you're missing Watson for four, six games, maybe even eight, mm-hmm. I don't know how much it's going to, or how they make it up later. Cause they're going to, they're going to lose a couple games without him because he is Deshaun Watson. Yeah. So I don't know. I would say a wild card is more likely, but with the way the, the AFC is a 10 win team may miss the playoffs, which is crazy. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's going to be a fun, a fun season. But yeah, it, it'll be tough. It'll be tough for the Browns. But I mean, you know, I think they can squeak out some games. They listen. I, I don't really know how much of a difference Brissett will be from Baker, because you know this team's going to know their motto right now, and they're going to be running the ball downfield. But I think Brissett, I think he'll be able to get it done. I think he's going to be able to get a couple wins. You know, he in uh, on Indianapolis, he was pretty solid. And when, you know, obviously he was the Patriots, but when when Brady was out because of the Deflate Gate. I think Brissett, what do you go, like three and one in those games? It's a lot of the same. Well, he only, he only played one game. Garoppolo played. Oh, yeah. Garoppolo did play. Yeah. He got so injured I, in one of the games. Yeah. Think. But I think they, they got the win in that one. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I think, I think, I think he beat Miami or something. Yeah. Like that. I don't yeah. quite remember. Listen, Miami's always been a pretty solid defensive team. But yeah, I, I agree with you with Pittsburgh. I think they'll be the weakest team in the division. But listen, they've been the playoff team two of the last three years. Um, and I think Trubisky, I think Trubisky is going to be a good quarterback. I think he was in a bad situation in Chicago. This guy was a number two pick for a reason. No. So, uh, I mean, I Deshaun know. Watson and Patrick Mahomes are in that draft. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a tough. It was a tough uh, round. Thank goodness the Browns went with Garrett over Trubisky. But, yeah, I, I listen, I, I don't think he's a slouch. I think he's going to put up a good comeback. I think he, he has the potential to win comeback player of the year just from – you know, having a solid performance. I don't think it went in, but, it, you know, he has a chance. Um, but, yeah, every game is going to be tough this season. Um, this is the most excited I've ever been for the NFL, obviously, just because the Browns have a serious chance this year. But, um, yeah, there's just so many great teams. There's a lot of great young players. And I'll, I'll go back to Baltimore because you said it you said it best. They had a phenomenal draft. But it, it really pisses me off. Every year they seem to get my favorite player in the draft. They got Marlon Humphrey, they got Rashawn Bateman, and now they got Kyle Hamilton. Like – Kyle, I, I genuinely believe Kyle Hamilton was the best player in that draft, and they got him at what fourteen? Yeah, an absolute steal. So I, I honestly think Tyler Linderbaum makes them a better offense than Marquise Brown does. Yeah, uh, yeah. They're a run. They're a run-based offense. Marquise mm-hmm. Brown is not a great blocker. Yeah. And Tyler Linderbaum is going to be a Pro Bowl center for the next ten years, in my opinion. You're absolutely you right. A, you get a you get a Jabo in the second round who would have been a top ten pick if he didn't get hurt. He won't play this year, but. In years two and, you know, and going forward, he's going to be a great player. Travis Jones, who was projected to go in the early second, maybe even first round to get him in the third round. Like, it's just value picks the whole draft. It's it's crazy. 
Yeah, and we never we never got to, to talk about that trade with Arizona, but I think that you know Linderbaum's obviously going to be massive for Baltimore, but Brown on on Arizona is going to be huge. Obviously, we heard the news of DeAndre Hopkins is going to be suspended, so he'll be the number one guy for a while. And uh, I like his chances because I think he fits well in that Arizona offense, especially with Kyler. Obviously, there's a bit of uncertainty there, but I'm, they're going to be rolling. they played they played with each other in college. Yeah, exactly. They, they already got that chemistry, so I'm yeah, pre- yeah I'm pretty sure. In Oklahoma. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they played in Oklahoma because I know Baker played with Brown for a year. Um, yeah, they both got Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it'll be extremely interesting. But, yeah, I mean, I can't put too much confidence into the season because of the uncertainty, but it'll be fun. And I'm not making a Super Bowl pick like last year. I have no idea. No, yeah, I have no clue. Obviously, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there uh, like at the beginning of the season. But right now, I mean, who knows? It's like it could be anybody. I, if I had, if I had to make a choice right now, I'd maybe say Rams. I don't even know. I couldn't even say that. I, I, I may, I may lean Bills. Yeah, I'm think that's the, you know Bills, but even then, we'll I, can they, can they, can they get over the hump? I think yeah. so. They're, they're apparently the favorite right now. They are. I think they're like plus six fifty, uh, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah, but I don't know. But before we wrap it up, a couple albums dropped the last uh, two weeks. Well, technically last week. Um, Kendrick Lamar dropped uh, last night and Jack Harlow dropped last week. So we'll just right before before we wrap up, just quick thoughts on it. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll start with Jack Harlow since he dropped first. What did you think of the album? And yeah, I, uh, I had a lot of anticipation for this one because I really liked uh, That's What They All Say. And uh, I've been listening to Jack since 2018, I think, you know, with Gazebo, songs like that. So I was hoping he was going to bring a bit of that, you know, not grime rap, but like he's got this intense style with some of his songs that I thought he was going to bring into this because he's got a bit more swagger in the industry right now. And he's worked his way up a lot in what he's explained, but I don't think he brought it with this album. I, you know, uh, come home, the kids miss you. I think it was a dope name, but, uh, from the get go, I didn't like the first couple songs. Uh, I, I already said it before first class. I thought was, was not it nail tech. Yeah. I love nail tech. I loved. And that's what I was hoping the album was going to be a lot like, but it wasn't, I get the style he was going for. I thought the features he had were great. Pharrell Williams, the song that they had together was great. Justin Timberlake was solid. Churchill Downs, probably the best song on the album with Drake. I mean, they, I mean, the, the, the bar about Toronto in the snow was awesome from Jack. And then Drake does the Kentucky Bur- Derby bar, which I thought was sick. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't think we were his demographic. And I think I mean, you'll probably get into that a little bit more, too. But it felt like it was for, you know, 17, 18 year old girls. It was. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I thought it was trash. <laughs> but like uh, the intro wasn't bad. The, mm-hmm. the song with Drake was really good. Um, and that was Jack Carlo's best part on the album best verse on the album and then drake washed him so i think uh, like you said we're not we're not the demographic 51 percent of his uh lyrics were about women or seducting women yeah so i mean we're just not the demographic for this album no um and that's pretty much future, all not even future of the weekend is is getting that high of a percentage yeah no which, by the way, Future dropped a great album. I yeah, love Future's, Future's album. album. It was awesome. I really yeah. like it. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, Jack, I get what you were trying to do. I think you got to separate yourself on this next one, you know, whenever that does come out. Because Cause he, he's the hottest name in rap right now. And He's one know. of them. But, like, the he came in with the Drake comparisons. 
I think the difference between him and Drake is is that Drake made music kind of like this, where like it's about women, but he also had songs that were about you know his feelings, his you know that were more emotional and more insightful. Whereas yeah. Jack Harlow's just kind of like there's no substance to it, and I'm not a huge substance person. I'm not gonna you know sit up here like I'm like I'm I'm like um looking at lyrics and you know I care a lot about lyrics. I don't really, but he'll like say something and he'll just like put in a one-liner just just because like there's it's one about like dictate like dictating like kim john or something john. like that just out of out of nowhere it's just i don't know it's like i feel like he was just trying to make this is what i said to one of our friends he was trying to make hits rather than good music yeah like commercially great songs instead of great music mm-hmm. which i mean he fell into the trap yeah mainstream music i agree and and i think the worst bar on that entire album was when he's like my grandpa would have a heart attack if i pulled 100 grand out oh my god i what the hell was that he was doing great and then he said that and i was like oh and then a couple bars later he said uh you know i have to start handing out programs so y'all need to get with the program yeah it it just doesn't like it felt like he was trying to get in his drake bag and i think he did a, a good job at least on that song he did a pretty good job um, you know, you know, you've heard Tuscan leather, things like that, where Drake will rhyme the same word a lot, but it, it, it wasn't the right moment and it wasn't it wasn't a great bar. There was a there was a lot of cringy bars on this album, and that's something you're gonna get with Jack Harlow, and I think that's fine, and he's okay with that. He's that kind of guy where it's like he's gonna say a couple things and you're gonna be like, Hold on, you're gonna do a double take and he's gonna laugh about it. But um, you know, this was his big moment, especially after such a good album he had previous. And I think it's just obviously it is nice to see that he can differentiate himself and have different genres, but I feel like it was such a 180 from the last album and obviously the ones before that, that it just felt a little weird to, to you know, the hardcore fan, I guess you could say, because I've been, you know, I've been listening to this guy for a while, I listened to you know his last album all the time. So I, I was pretty disappointed, you know, as a fan and, it, and just as a rap fan in general. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah. Going <laughs> we got to Kendrick. Another, yeah. Kendrick Lamar. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. I thought this was going to be a double like album. I thought he was going to drop Mr. Morale and then he was going to drop Big Steppers. Well, it was technically a double album. Yeah, one it's to all nine one thing. One to nine. 18 songs. What, what did you think? I thought it was super underwhelming. Like I, I didn't, I didn't think it was bad like at all. Thought it was okay, but if I were to compare it to his other albums, conceptually, it's not as good as To Pip a Butterfly. In terms of musical value. I don't think it's better than, or like the quality of music. I don't think it's better than Good Kid, Mad City. Mm. And then like commercially, like, I mean, like mainstream songs, it's not as good as Damn. It doesn't have like a, like a humble or a DNA on it. Um, not to say that it, it needs that because it's still going to sell great, but mm. um, I don't know. There's just nothing that I took away from this. Like, oh, I really like that. It was just okay. Yeah. Which, I mean. I'm also not the biggest Kendrick guy to begin with. So maybe that's a part of it, but I don't know. I just, I thought the hard part five was better than everything on this album. Yeah. The hard part five was incredible. And if you haven't seen that video, I mean, go watch it. It was, it was pretty sick to see him talking from other people's perspectives, but um, yeah, my take on the album, I've only listened to it one time through. I listened to it on the walk to work this morning. Um, I'll say the first three songs, United in Grief, N95, Worldwide Steppers, I thought were all phenomenal. I think this is one thing I'll say about the album. I agree with the three points you just made in terms of, you know, comparing those three albums. I thought those were all great points. I do think from an instrumental perspective, this might be his best album. Every single song, I was just finding myself just nodding my head, wanting to close my eyes while I'm trying to walk 
in the streets of Toronto. I, all I wanted to do was close my eyes and lie down. It was such a good instrumental. But I thought a couple of the songs were, were it's, it's great to be able to tell a story. And that's one thing I love about Kendrick is that he always is trying to tell you a story. But I think sometimes it overshadowed the music a bit. There was a song, um, We Cry Together with Taylor Page, where it was a phenomenal instrumental, a great start to the song, but then it was just an argument back and forth. And I get what he was going for there. It was cool, but at the same time, it, it did ruin the song for me. And I think that happened a couple times on this album. Um, but yeah, listen, I've only listened to it one time through. I personally, I really like it. And I think it's going to grow on me even more. So there's not really a standout song I can say, but you know, an 18 song album, I thought it was a, it was a pretty cool story. There was a couple you know, questionable bars, not in terms of like cringiness, but in terms of, can you say that? And uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. But it, it, yeah. I, you know, I thought it was a, I thought it was a good time. You know, you know, I haven't heard Kendrick in what, five, six years. It was, it was awesome to see him come back. And it was, it was the perfect thing to take away my depression from that lease loss. So yeah, I'm excited to keep listening to it. Cause I, I did like it the first time through. That's probably my biggest thing is that it's been five years since he's dropped and it was kind yeah. of underwhelming to me. Mm-hmm. But like you said, I think having to, li- I've listened to it twice and I feel like I have to listen to it a couple more times yeah. to really grasp it. But I'm sure we'll have a, a better opinion on it if we were to talk about it next week or the, or the week after. But yeah, it's still fresh, which mm-hmm. is, I don't like judging music off a first listen. Yeah. So I like to listen to it a couple times, but. So far, not the biggest fan, but it's not bad by any means. Yeah, it's it's the same way I'm looking at Jack right now. The first time through, I thought there's no way I'm going to listen to this album ever again. But I've been listening to it throughout the week, and now I can pick out like five or maybe six songs that I liked. I've already liked about four or five from this one, so I know it's going to be great. I will say, like, I think this is an issue we both have with Kendrick. And it's not an issue. It's just our personal preference in terms of listening to music. But the tone of voice he brings to a particular song, I think, really changes it when he brings that monotone deep voice i'm into it i've listened to every single word he's saying but sometimes i'll have a bit of that higher pitched voice not as much into that but that's just me listen i'm yeah i I don't love it the high voice is annoying to me yeah i don't like like for me pete kendrick is like uh the song sing about me dying of thirst like there's a comment between the dying of thirst part like it was like i think it's about like seven minutes into the song that is my favorite like three minutes of Kendrick ever. I don't know if you like, I don't know if you know that song or not, but that's great. That's like my favorite Kendrick when he's like, he's kind of monotoned and she's just, he's just rapping. He's just going. Yeah. That's my favorite. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. yeah, the high voice little... isn't my, isn't my flavor. Yeah. It's exactly what he brought in the, your, uh, the hard part five. Just uh, yeah. Just spitting, letting him know what he's thinking and, you know, coming in with a bit of a, I wouldn't say aggression, but, you know, a little deeper tone, a little more serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people that think the opposite or think, you know, no matter what voice he brings to the table is phenomenal. So, yeah, I think I think it's just amazing that we have a Kendrick album now because it's been waiting for so long. And I think it's, for me at least, my opinion on him has changed so much in the time in which he hasn't, you know, had music releasing. I went from not really listening to his music at all to slowly liking it to, you know, Good Kid Man City is probably in my top three albums of all time now. You know, it's been for Butterflies up there as well. So it's cool. It's cool to be able to just, you know, look at that catalog and see the change he's had and the growth he's had. Um, also, I loved uh, Baby Keem. He wasn't listed, but he's on Savior Interlude. And I thought his verse was awesome on that as well. 
I thought he was better than, on that than Savior itself. Yeah, yeah, I, I wasn't a fan of Savior, but yeah. uh, in a I like Kendrick's part. I didn't like the the chorus with. Yeah, I, didn't I agree, absolutely. But with that, that's a great place to wrap up. Thank you all for watching. Thank you for listening. Make sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Comment down below, and we will see you all next week. Take it easy. Hey, well. Peace.